1: And then we created a network of podcasters on mentalhealthnewsradionetwork.com, a place where every possible facet of mental well-being can be talked about openly. My show, after several hundred interviews, the format is this. Intimate, deep, funny, touching sometimes uncomfortable, but always vulnerable conversations with interesting people. The goal is to have you, our listening family, many of you who have become my good friends, feel as though you are listening in on private conversations. Thank you for tuning in and becoming part of this amazing journey with me and now with our network of podcasters just knowing this podcast might be helping any of you realize you are not alone on this journey called being a human being makes doing this podcast worth every second. After all, we promised we would be cordial. Good evening, Dr. Paul Meyer.
2: Good evening, uh, Kristen Sinatra Walker. How are you?
1: <laughs> I'm good. I'm good. We we haven't been on in a while cuz we've had different things come up and uh, but I love what you Um, Sent. we're going to do either it's going to be either 10 or 15 show series together on how we can improve our personalities and tonight yeah yeah, tonight we're going to talk about correcting genetic influences on our personality but we're going to start by talking a little bit about dogs but tell tell our listeners why you um, wanted to do this arc that we're doing here
2: yeah uh, well i thought first it would be, you know, people are interested in uh, our personalities and how we can change them, and and why we are the way we are, and so we're going to do, uh, you know, an, an approximately a, a twelve-part series on it. And, uh, and then when you and I were uh, talking on the uh, talking to each other here right before the program started, your dog came and jumped on your lap, and uh, <laughs> the dog's name is Smokey. Yep. And I said, I said, you know what? That reminds me. Why don't we say a little bit about how dogs inherit personality too. And because and, uh, uh, that helps people understand better how humans can. And, and I'm not saying that uh, most of your personality is genetic or anything like that. For some people it could be, but for most people, you know, um, uh, it, it's probably uh, a third or less of our personality. There's, I think there's three things that determine our personality, our genes that we inherit mm-hmm. and our environment. That we grow up in especially but our environment throughout life but especially the first six years and then the choices that we make can alter our personalities but tell me about your dog Smokey.
1: <laughs> well you asked me you know what kind of personality does he have and i said needy needy yeah. needy <laughs> because that's that's what he has but he is a border collie Australian Shepherd. He's three years old, and um, he definitely needs to be fixed right off the gate because that'll help with the um, little little bit of aggression that he has. Not much, but a little bit. And um, you know, he just is one of those dogs where he wants to be basically crawl inside of you. He can't get close enough to you, pawing at you and licking and all that kind of stuff. And he will- So, so you're
2: ready. You're, you're already saying that uh, Men are more aggressive than women and need to be spayed. <laughs> <laughs> not spayed, but <laughs> castrated, right?
1: <laughs> Just dogs.
2: And, and dogs. there's some truth to that. There's some truth to that, that, that one reason men are more aggressive is because uh, we have yeah. testosterone.
1: And there is something to be said. I mean, I like uh, Border Collies because that's what I had and that was what I did therapy dog work with. You and know, they're the smartest. Yeah, They're the, smartest. Yep. They're they're the
2: smartest of all dogs in IQ. Yep.
1: Yep, and Australian Shepherds are up there in the top ten as well. So he'll yeah. be he'll be a great therapy dog. Um, he has to be fixed in order to be one, anyway. But um, you know, I can I, I, like I bid in, in
2: again? That's yeah, what of I always course. do anyway. <laughs> that's my my. Uh, I you know I had I've, I've got a, an old friend who's a psychiatrist, and, and he says, uh, "Meyer, you've got a, a new personality type that's not in the books." And I said, "What's that?" He said, "Obsessive obnoxious." <laughs> so let me say something real quick about. Dog IQ, there, there's uh, certain tests that they of course, you know, you can't really measure because some are really brilliant at one thing and stupid at another, you know, but there's there's uh, uh, some, a couple tricks that they see how many repetitions it'll take to, to teach the dog that trick. And for border collies, the average was three, you know, they show it to them three times and they can do it. And for uh, hound dogs, it was 103. Yeah, and so there were, you know, and, and they go all the way down the line, you know, different, different uh, dog breeds and stuff. And,
3: and some dogs,
2: is, uh, it it, but, true, but right. even the hound dogs would be brilliant at other things.
1: Right. right. I mean? But
2: they just aren't good at learning those tricks. And but, Yeah.
1: And we've we've had many different kinds of dogs in the course of my lifetime, and I have seen like Shiba Inus are notorious for running away. Uh, They come back, but they do like to just flee, and that's what we saw with one that we had. We had a lab, and she did lab stuff, and we've had German shepherds, and they did German shepherd things. And you know, for me and my personality. A dog that is very, very intelligent is um, that will listen to command and is bred to please is a dog that's gonna work for me. Um, and because I need a working dog, because I really enjoy sure. the therapy dog work. So I need a dog that I can command and, um, you know, and they're not necessarily aggressive with people. They love people. And this dog loves people. Plus, he's got the Aussie tail that's very short. So he, I mean, that mm-hmm. just, disarms everybody. Oh, look at this little tail. So, um, just right now he, with the extra testosterone (laughs) because of his appendage, appendages, uh, that will Mm -hmm. be removed not too long from now. He's a little bit aggressive and that'll probably calm him down from wanting to like, you know, crawl into my skin uh, all Mm -hmm. the time also. Well,
2: just in general dogs, uh, you can't say, you know, you can't say, all oh, like St. Bernards are used to rescue people that are stuck in the snow, and they're just extreme. They're big,
3: mm-hmm. but they're extremely
2: loving and loyal and good at finding people and things like that. Slobbery. And so different breeds are, you know, some breeds are just naturally good at rounding up sheep
3: mm-hmm. and
2: uh, mm-hmm. and things like that. I mean, it seems like it's almost in their nature. So there are a lot of personality traits that are found in different kinds of dogs. And people have a lot of different personality traits, but you can't generalize and say like pit bulls have a bad reputation for having bad tempers. And on the average, uh, they probably do have uh, more temper, you know, explosive traits than other dogs. But there's some people that have really loving, sweet pit bulls, you know.
1: My neighbor's dog is like the most docile. My little Aussie is the alpha of her and she's a pit bull mix. So it, I, mm-hmm. I think it's the jaw though they're tight, they're their powerful build. And so they were bred to be these fighting dogs, but their natural personality is so sweet. It's like they were put into the fighting stuff because of the power that they have in terms of that jaw, not really based yeah. on what their personality is like is what it seems yeah. like.
2: to me. Well, so we're not saying, you know, like, everybody that's uh you know uh, you know we're we're not being racially uh Mm-mm. prejudiced here because there's all different kinds of people in uh in every race, but they just uh are there's just a lot of people that inherit different personality traits that's all that's all' I'm
1: exactly saying.
2: So, so we so have this
1: list we have the first yeah. one paranoid traits and i'll read what what you sent in. Arrogant, condescending, ascribe evil motives to others, controlling, troubling, trouble delegating, critical, overly sensitive to criticism or even perceived criticism when there isn't any, always right in arguments, no intimate relationships. Paranoid traits can come from multiple sources like childhood environment, parental modeling, childhood abuse. And then you wrote, imagine a nice puppy but kicking it across the room every day, it will get paranoid toward all people eventually holding grudges since more buried anger produces more paranoia choices, but sometimes also genetics. Severe in psychotic depressive reactions, manic episodes, chronic paranoid states, and schizophrenia. Genetics, a, dop- a dopamine problem.
2: Yeah, let's mention that puppy first Since we were talking about dogs a while ago. If you had a sweet little dog, um, if, if, if those of you in our listening family just somebody just gave you a gift of a nice, sweet little Yorkie puppy, you know, or something like that. And, uh, and you, you sat, fed, fed your Yorkie dog and, or whatever the dog is, fed the dog and hugged the dog and pet the dog. Uh, but once a day you came in and just kicked it across the room.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Well, after a while that dog would get more and more, um, paranoid and, uh, and you know, in a year or two, he'd be a lot more paranoid. And if a stranger came to the door, he would assume that stranger was going to come in and kick him across the room. And so he might even, you know, want to bite the stranger. When the stranger's reaching down to pet him and, and be nice, uh, he'd be paranoid. So kids that get uh, abused a lot, and we're going to talk about environmental factors next month. So we won't go into it now. But there's a lot of different reasons why people can have paranoid traits other than genetics. And, and uh, But sometimes people inherit um, genetic paranoid traits where they're just automatically uh, more uh, arrogant, condescending, um, assuming that you know if you disagree with them you're, you must be evil um, and, and it, even if you tell a, a joke, uh, they assume you're doing it to criticize them and so they you know they, they're just overly sensitive and things like that. Now when they get healed, I, when I used to do uh, individual therapy, uh, Kristen. I don't know. I just do medications now. But early in my psychiatric career, I did uh, outpatient counseling. and see, I'd see people once a week for a year or longer. And uh, when I got a, a paranoid person, um, I, I sort of dreaded it at the same time as a challenge. But I, but, I, you know, once we figured out that they were paranoid and, uh, and we got psych testing on them and that showed that they were paranoid, I, I would sit down and negotiate a verbal contract with them. And I'd say, I want you to promise that you're going to come see me every week for the next year. I said, there's going to be times, there's going to be times that you hate to come see me. Uh, because you know, if I'm digging and probing and telling you things you don't want to hear, you may even, you know, hate my guts sometimes. And there's going to be times when I'm going to look down at my schedule and see you on my schedule and think, Oh no, not him again. (laughs) Or her again. Right. And, uh, and I, and I say, but we have to make a commitment that we're going to work through those times. And, uh, and so if the person is, then, and that's true. I, my job as a therapist is I just keep uh, showing love, speaking the truth in love, speaking the truth in love. And when they come out with their jabs and condescension and all that stuff, mm. speaking the truth in love. And usually after about nine months, um, the, the love wins out and, and they start uh, changing. But, um, but some people inherit I'm, paranoid yeah. traits. Um, I definitely did. Nine.
1: I definitely did for sure.
2: What? Fair, oh, fair yeah.
1: Much? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. I don't uh, have that now. I've
2: never seen any in you? Yeah, yeah. Well, I
1: don't have it now. I mean, I did a lot of therapy, but yeah, but,
2: but, but, but do you think they were inherited, or, or do you think, or do you think they were the result of, of abuse from? I think both.
1: I think both. And yeah. since my my parents were also severely abused, I mean, it just you know yeah. that plus genetic traits. I mean. Yeah. Um, definitely. I, I remember when I was pregnant and this was a hormonal thing, obviously. Um, but I remember just thinking everybody was out to get me. It was horrible while I was pregnant. It was absolutely epic and awful. And then it went away about maybe six months mm-hmm. after my son was born. So, um mm-hmm. You know hormonal changes really really pushed me into some not uh, great um paranoid traits for sure
2: mm-hmm. yeah hormones can mess us up um and and uh, uh thyroid uh, hormone getting off can
3: mm-hmm. make you more
2: mm-hmm. paranoid or even delusional Yeah, um, steroids can make it that way but um uh, we had for example we had a case one time where um a pastor and his wife uh came from marital counseling because she had all these paranoid traits, and so we assume usually they're from choices and childhood and all that stuff. But she had a very nice, loving childhood, and 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 when we looked at everything without going into much detail, uh, it, I really felt like hers. A lot of it was just genetic. Um, it, most of her sibs weren't that way, but you know she had an aunt that way and had, you mm-hmm. know, an uncle on the other side of the family that way, and her, you know, dad was a little bit that way, and. And, uh, and so I I told her, um, I said, do do you mind, you know, I'm I'm thinking that some of the problems that you have might be genetic and if, if they are, then, then paranoid traits are, are a a dopamine problem. So if I can, if I can give you a little bit of a dopamine medicine, if you don't have genetic paranoid traits, it's not going to make any difference, but if you do, it'll make a difference. And so she was willing to try it surprisingly. And uh, they only take about it only takes about a week. Right, uh, dopamine, like you know, Seroquel or or uh, Abilify or any, any of those. Those are dopamine. What dopamine. about Prestiq? And, and yeah, and and okay. no, Prestiq's a serotonin. Okay, serotonin. It. well,
1: butrin and would so, uh, be the dopamine.
2: No, nope. nope. no. Well, yeah, but nope. that's not the right kind. Of, yeah, well, butrin is too, but it's not the right kind of dopamine. Medicine. Gotcha. It has to be an an, an 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 atypical antipsychotic type. Ah, okay, gotcha. Uh, you know, like like one of those. You know, but that we we use for a lot of different things, but but uh, we use it for anxiety. We use it if they're stuck in depression. We use it for obsessiveness and stuff, but but also for paranoia. So um, so she took that, and a week later, uh, she wasn't condescending. She was sweet. She was she was a better listener. I mean, these traits just disappeared, and uh, mm-hmm. so it, it, hers really was genetic. So that's that that can that, that's one personality type, and then uh, uh, social phobia isn't really a personality type, but shy is. And uh, some people, you know, all of us listening right now uh, probably know somebody that where their brothers and sisters are outgoing, but that one person is real shy. Do you know, do you have any friends like that? that yeah, I have. That and kind of I was,
1: yeah, I was, um, I mean, I was shy from trauma, but I was definitely not a shy kid. I was like, I just want to make everybody happy
3: <laughs> that was yeah.
1: they used to call me boo because um I would go and this is when I was really little my cousins called me boo and I was like why where did that come from and it was because anybody that looked sad I would walk up to them and I would put my face right up in their face kind of like this dog that I have and and go boo to try to make them laugh a, or make them at that it was that's, sweet. that's really really
2: <laughs> That's, and I'm like that
1: really, now. Yeah. There is sandwiched in between processing trauma, yeah. I lost yeah. to that. They and now be. that I'm in they my 40s, a, that's what I'm at, at again.
2: <laughs> yeah, they call me a, a big teddy bear because I, if I see anybody hurting, I like to
1: mm-hmm. give them a hug. And nowadays,
2: you got to be careful who you hug and where that's you hug them. Very all true.
1: <laughs> very true. Yes. We Certainly can't run from president then if you do that a lot, you know. <laughs> I have to be careful too. Anyway, I noticed yeah. with a I noticed with a friend of mine, a um business colleague, that I I'm just so used to giving him a hug and like, you know, pat him on the arm or whatever. And and then I he looked a little uncomfortable once and and he told me yeah. that he wasn't uncomfortable at all. That was just me thinking it. But I remember thinking in my head, Oh, this is probably not appropriate anymore. So I I've yeah. stopped um I give them a hug, but it's a very short hug, and I ask permission first, and then I don't do any other kind of you know like pat on the hand or whatever because that's we're just in a different age,
2: <laughs> yeah but so anyway, some people are, are born real shy and and I'll just give you a quick case study we can move on to the next one, but uh and, and, and there's different words for shy people introvert uh, is another one. Uh schizoid doesn't mean schizophrenic. Some people think it means, you know, borderline schizophrenic or something. Schizoid just means uh, real shy and introverted, but maybe with a few eccentricities and things. But uh uh some people are born with social phobia and, and it's from birth, and their sibs aren't that way. But all of a sudden there's one kid from birth on, he's that way. And uh there was a guy um that uh here in the Dallas area who was he was born that way and he was real shy his whole life. And he was able to go to elementary school and junior high and high school, uh, but he, he couldn't go to Boy Scouts. He couldn't join any clubs. Um, he, uh, um, he was able to go to class, but, he, you know, he'd keep to himself. He'd go eat by himself. He never asked a girl out on a date when he was in high school or college. And the only reason he got married is some you know, girl uh, proposed to him, you know. And, and, uh, so he ended up getting married, and he got a you know, college degree. He was real bright. And he went into business for himself and he ended up being the owner of a large, um, business here in Dallas, but he would stay in the back room and not get out and mingle with his customers who came there. Uh, it was actually a large store and, and he wouldn't mingle with his, uh, employees. He just stayed back in his room and, and, uh, you know, sort of delegated to the one person that you could you know, talk to, you know, his as assistant.
3: Mm-hmm. And,
2: uh, but he heard me talking about this on the phone about genetic,
3: you know, on the radio, uh,
2: personality traits. Yeah, on, on the radio. Yeah, he heard me talk about it on on the radio, and uh, so he got up his courage and came to see me, and uh, and sure enough, you know, when I asked him all the questions, it was since birth, and uh, I mean, his you know his he had kids, and but he, he couldn't go to their soccer games mm-hmm. or he couldn't do you know anything social, and uh, so I that, that's uh, instead of a dopamine problem, that's a GABA problem, gamma amino butyric acid isn't working right in the brain. And that's, we just call it GABA for short, G-A-B-A. And so I gave him a GABA medicine. And there's some that are really good, like is a really good one, but it takes a month to work. And I wanted to really impress him and give him a little hope because he didn't have much hope. So mm-hmm. I gave him one that works right away. And so I loaded him up on Neurontin, uh, it, you know, it, a, a large dose. I said, now you're going to be tired, but uh, by, you know, starting right off on a large dose, but here's the dose. I want you to take it and try it out and four days later he was totally normal.
3: Oh my he, was, he was able
2: to go to his kids soccer games, he was able to go to church, he, he mingled, came out and met with the customers and came out and laughed and talked to his employees and he was totally normal and he would have been his whole life if he wouldn't have had a genetic uh, problem with his GABA right. and on the medicine he was totally normal. If he takes uh, a GABA medicine the rest of his life he'll stay that way but if at age 80, he decided, well, I don't need this anymore, and he quit, he'd go right back into being an introvert again, an extreme introvert. Mm. So that's genetic. And then there's uh, histrionic. Histrionic
1: personalities, yes. Yeah. And I, boy, yeah. have I experienced a lot of that. <laughs> okay. Not, to, not for bit. myself, yeah. but uh, from members, <laughs> my mother in particular, yeah, um, and different people that I have been in business with. But um, you would written, we have two yeah. brains the cerebral cortex and the limbic brain. And it seems like yeah. you could throw out the limbic brain and some engineers and not notice any difference or throw out the cerebral <laughs>
2: cortex. Sorry for you engineers listening to it.
1: And <laughs> some movie stars and not notice any difference. So yeah, oh yeah, yeah.
2: Yeah, because <laughs> yeah, uh, histrionic personalities are real emotional and, and they don't use a whole lot of logic. They, they base their decisions and their political beliefs and everything else just on, you know, whatever emotion they're experiencing at the, at the moment. And, and, uh, so histrionic personalities, a lot of them become movie stars and, and, you know, they love the limelight. Um, I've got some of the, some histrionic traits. That's probably why I butt in more than I should. Cause, uh, uh you know, I I think it's because I want to, uh, uh, I think it's, beca- maybe it's because of some of my obsessive traits and I want everybody to know everything, but part of it might be uh, an unconscious need to get more attention. See so. That would be a histrionic trait. But we have two brains. Uh, when you think of a brain, you think of the cerebral cortex, the gray matter on the outside. But people, most people don't know that there's a, another brain underneath it, and it's shaped uh, just like an Oscar Mayer wiener. You know, right. <laughs> it's like a hot dog. And it goes from the front the front to the back, from the, your forehead back to the back of your head. And it's the seat of your emotions. So you have a total emotional brain and, and a logical brain, the cerebral cortex with millions and millions of connections between the two. And so I think when God designed us, he wanted us to think and he wanted us to feel, and he wanted us to, you know, coordinate those in a healthy individual. So a healthy person can think and can feel and share their feelings and be in touch with feelings, but also use logic and not just react emotionally to, you know, whatever happens to be, you know, bouncing in your brain at the time. And, uh, and it does seem like with some people, uh, they're real obsessive compulsive, and uh, you know, and you ask him, you know, like Doctor Spock in uh, Star Trek. They ask him, uh, "Have you ever been angry?" And he scratched his chin and looked at him. and says, "No, I don't think I've ever experienced that emotion."
3: <laughs> and <laughs>
2: right. uh, so, so with uh, some people that are real Spockian. Uh, you could remove their limbic brain and there probably wouldn't be any difference in their personality (laughs) because they've never used it, you know, and there's some people, I'm being dramatic, you know, but, and there's some people that are so emotional, but, you know, and and, again, you know, I mean, there's a lot of movie stars that, that, uh, I'm not saying they're not intelligent, but they're they're people that are in the limelight a lot, a lot of them are more histrionic, they're, you know, they're just really great at at histrionics and acting and things like that, and um, they're talented, you know, but, but you could remove their cerebral cortex, and uh, and you might not notice a whole lot of difference in, <laughs> so, in right. sometimes in their uh, their ability to think or in their uh, reactions to you know religion or politics or a lot of different things that they think they know everything about.
1: Yeah, and I mean, so, uh, someone can go. go someone can go there too, where uh, they're behaving more histrionic and like we i had this happen with a friend who just did a show with me and he was just going at it on social media just picking fights with people and just saying very controversial things and you know just taking well he he likes to say you know i like to start mini revolutions and um and you know that's something that he has to control and with him, it was that his medication was off, his depression medication was off. He was on the wrong antidepressant and um, and it was, you know, exacerbating his already, his propensity to already kind of go there and it just made it worse. But now, you know, different medication and all, and all of us who love him saying, dude, this is not how you normally <laughs> behave. Like he went off on me about something and I was like the person that I know would never speak to me like that. Not that I feel like I'm special and should only be spoken to a certain way, but you're obviously not in your right mind. (laughs) And, um, and then he, you know, he, we just did a show yesterday and it was wonderful because he was like, yeah, I wasn't. And thank you for, saying something, Kristen, because, you know, you knew I was going to throw some daggers at you, but you said it anyway, and that's when you know who your real friends are, the people that will say something you really don't want to hear, you know?
2: Mm -hmm. So, uh, so there's not any one chemical, I can't think of any one chemical or one medicine that helps people be uh, less histrionic, it's, you know, counseling really helps, so, I don't know how much of that is inherited and how much of that's learned Uh, in our culture. In the past, um, men, men were encouraged to be obsessive compulsive by culture and -hmm. women were encouraged to be histrionic and dependent. Uh, did you ever wonder why women's men's shirts button in the front and women's dresses button in the back? No. You You never thought about that?
1: No, That's a way to
2: dominate women. It's a way to dominate oh, women. Oh, wow! It, it makes them dependent. Somebody oh. else has to button them up.
3: Oh, I never knew that. And the Paul. zippers are
2: in the the zippers are in the back for women, and then the front for men. And wow.
3: There's just a whole
2: lot of things that are subtle, you know, that were you know, women were expected to be emotional. They weren't expected to be to even go to college. Um, you know, uh, uh, lots of times in a lot of cultures and. And uh, mm. they're supposed to, you know, be sexy and, and uh, that sort of thing. Interesting. And, uh, uh, and so to some extent, our, in the past, cultures pushed women into more histrionics and pushed men into more obsessive-compulsive uh, traits and not being in touch with feelings. Right. Um, I men, who are single, men who are single, even today, have 300% more heart attacks, strokes, and suicides than men that are married. And I think men that are single tend to not share their feelings. And and I think that's, I think that's part of what kills them. And, and, uh, uh, I mean, it could be, you know, testosterone or genetics or something else, you know, why do women live seven years longer than men, but, um, women share their feelings and so if a man is married, he's 300% better off. Um, and I think it's because being married to a woman, um, helps you to be able to share uh, better. Uh, in, in today's age, there's there's less difference, which is good. There's yes. you know there, in, in that sense, you know. Uh, uh, there's not as much stereotyping and things like that. You know, in that test that the test that that came from was actually done about fifteen or twenty years ago. So I don't know if it would be the same today, where there's that much difference for men. Women were only two percent better off if they got married. <laughs> So, you know, what do you get out of that? Why does it didn't that help women much, but It was good for yeah. men, you know. I joke, no. around, I, I joke around and say, you know, the Bible says, he who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor of the Lord. It doesn't say anywhere in the Bible, she that finds a husband finds a good thing.
1: <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> he who, who stays single after being married enjoys a full and productive, wonderful life <laughs> doing things that yeah. she didn't yeah. do before. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. All right, so
2: okay, now then, we're on passive aggressive. Mm. Yeah, and passive aggressive are are uh, uh, it, it's usually uh, due to environment. We'll talk about that uh, next in our next podcast. Uh, but uh, basically, passive aggressive people are people who are dependent uh, and uh, needy, and uh, they let other people dominate them, um, and they don't. They're afraid to share. Anger they mm-hmm. feel it or they may not feel it they, they have it, but they may be aware of it may not be, but they don't ever express it openly because they're they're afraid to and uh instead they'll do things to to uh lots often without even knowing they're doing them right. to express right. anger passive aggressive things like i have a uh um, I've got a a friend who's uh who you know he died quite a long time ago but but he was Really nice guy, but he was real passive aggressive. And when his wife would uh, ask him to um hang up Christmas lights on a, on the house, and they had a very nice house, he got out. He went out and got sixteen penny nails, those great big ones, and put them all the way around her beautiful home to hang the lights on. And then he wouldn't take them down till about February. And,
3: mm-hmm. and uh,
2: when she when she asked him if he would uh, paint the windows upstairs, he uh painted them shut. And uh and he said, well, that's to keep the the um, the hot air out. And, stuff like that. So he had some excuse and he did do those things on purpose, but you know, and, and, and he'd always be late, um, uh, everywhere. You know, people that are passive aggressive or late are late everywhere. And, uh, and, and most of those traits are, are, you know, we'll talk about that next week, but most of them are come from having a real domineering parent that you
3: right. don't
2: dare share your feelings towards. So you learn the passive aggressive traits. And, yes, that's
3: But, but anyway, but I
2: don't want to get into that. I'm just saying some people are born though. Mm. Um, just like some dogs are born a lot more passive, and some dogs are born just a lot more aggressive. some dogs you know if, if a stranger comes, they run right out to him and lick him, and other dogs run out to him and want to bite him and you know <laughs> right. and there 's some right. dogs that just cower in the corner if if anybody 's near, they just cower in in uh, uh without it being environmental i mean sometimes it 's from environmental reasons, but uh you know some people are just born real born real um more passive, and so they 're more likely to become passive aggressive because they uh, not only are shy but they're afraid to share feelings
1: absolutely and you know i've been accused of that twice um, both by by men and uh, they were both men who have a giant history of not getting along with people. <laughs> And uh, so I was added to the list, but they are—they are big on throwing that around. You're passive aggressive, and I'm like, mm, no, that would be you, and you're projecting. Yeah,
2: <laughs> yeah. yeah.
1: You know, projection
2: she, is a Yep. Big defense mechanism. That's uh, uh, for those in our listening family right now. If you don't know, uh, projection is uh, where you've got a fault inside of yourself, but you don't see it in you but people that uh, you come in contact with, they might have a tiny little bit of that fault or they might not have any, but you see a great big bunch of it in them and you don't see any in you. And uh, the Bible talks about that in Matthew 7, 3, through 5. Uh, it talks about seeing the moat or the, seeing the toothpick in your brother's eye when you get a log in your own eye. Mm, and, yeah. Uh, and paranoid that. people do that the most. We all do that to some extent, but paranoid mm. people do that a lot. They, because they have all that anger and their arrogance in and stuff like that inside mm. them. And they think they're really righteous. And, you know, they're the, the really moral one when really the immoral one. And, and, uh, and, uh, and so they look out at other people and see other people as being evil. Mm. Um, and that's projection in reality. You know, uh, I just thought of, uh, King Solomon wrote in, uh, chap Proverbs chapter six, uh, the seven sins, uh, we had a program on the seven deadly sins, but the seven sins that God hates the most. And uh, surprisingly, number one on there is a paranoid tree. It's, it's uh, thinking that you're more righteous than other people. Mm-hmm. So, you know, uh, you know, if, if somebody commits a certain sin and, and somebody else goes around condemning that person and criticizing that person and things like that, you know, in God's eyes, the person that's the uh, acting righteous in condemning the sinner is the one that's by far the worst sinner. And uh, the one that, you know, the the woman caught in adultery, he just said, you know, hey, learn from it. Go out and move don't on. Sin no more. Yeah. yeah. So, so that's passive aggressive. And the traits are not genetic, I don't think, but some can be.
1: Right. And the next one is explosive personalities. Yeah. So usually from childhood... Childhood abuse, but some people are born that way or have brain damage in the womb or during life and some inherit it. They take out their explosive rage that appears out of nowhere on whoever loves them the most. Now, I dealt with this a bit with, well, not a bit. I dealt with this a lot with my ex-husband and it was from childhood abuse. And I also learned it from his father and maybe it was inherited. Uh, Maybe there was a genetic component to it as well, but um, he didn't hit me or anything like that. But the, you know, um, picture NFL playing or any kind of sport and someone who has to stand up and scream at the television about how stupid everybody, you know, that kind of thing. And that just being the way that he was – about many things uh you know and and i knew i had to learn how to okay well i can't fight back and argue in the heat of the moment because he's like a dog that finds a squirrel and chases it up a tree like that he's just straight up into that part of his brain and is doesn't hear me so i'd have to learn later to go you know either you're going to not wake up in the morning because I'll have done something in your sleep if you ever do that again, or you're going to control your behavior. <laughs> so it actually you know, helped me learn. Oh, how to. It, it actually helped me really learn how to stand up for myself, um, have, dealing with him. Uh, it was like a, you know, practice for really standing up for myself from you know the things because my father was also that way um very much that way
2: and your ex really grew and, and yes. he's really a nice guy now right
1: yep and he always was he always has been a nice yeah. wonderful guy but the whole the love them the most piece yeah yeah that, that piece right there
2: in fact you know what we i left off one uh, and this reminds me this is a good time to put them both in together because they're separate i mean they're they're different the sociopathic personality is somebody that has no conscience. Mm. They're they're evil. They're just plain evil and they're mean just to be mean, you know, they they want to hurt you. They may act nice. They're that's uh, more like uh you know borderline personalities are similar but not not quite like that. But uh sociopathic are just plain evil. And and some people are just born more evil than others and I don't know, you know, exactly why, but um uh, but they, they, they all, uh, explode and, and hurt and stuff, but they have no guilt. And whereas the explosive personality usually are really nice people, uh, which surprises people, uh, explosive personalities are, are usually really nice most of the time, but then some dinky little thing right. will upset them and they'll just way overreact and get, you know, explosive, usually just verbally, uh, once in a while they'll, uh, push. Their wife, if it's a guy, or if it's a woman, you know she may slap her husband in the face or something.
3: Right.
2: So, um, but they they explode, and but but then when they explode, they feel you know, of ten minutes later, they, they feel guilty about it. They a sociopath never feels guilty.
3: Right. So the
2: the so, the uh, explosive feels guilty and goes and apologizes and and then they'll uh, then they'll be nice again, and uh, and some people are born. Uh, Explosive. Some people are real nice all their lives. Um, I know a famous um, singer, a real famous uh, nationally known singer who has given her testimony about, but I still won't mention her name, but her dad was super nice uh, when she was growing up and then when she was about, you know, 10 years old, her dad had a brain injury. He had some sort of accident and his brain got injured and the part of it that got injured made him real hostile. And so he would explode. He might be nice one minute and explode another minute. And whenever he exploded, he'd go take it out on her. And he was real close to her. She was his favorite child, you know. And uh, But um, w- when you do explode and you don't understand, you, you look around and you try to figure out who are they mad at. You know, because they know they're mad and they, and they think it must be somebody's fault. But really it's not, you know, if it's genetic or caused by brain damage. And so they look around and they almost automatically take it out on whoever loves them the most. And, uh, uh because that's the least likely person to reject them. Right. And so exactly. I, I told, a, I told a lady in here today, uh, her husband, uh, uh, her husband is explosive and, and, um, even, you know, threatened her before in serious ways. And, uh, but he's, you know, in therapy and taking meds and things. And, and, uh, and uh, and he's not doing that anymore. But I, but I told her, I said I I, w- I want you to know that uh, that the fact that he uh, always exploded on you means he really loves you. So it's a compliment.
3: <laughs> you know, I, know. I was
2: joking with her. I mean, you know I I wasn't being. Uh, but she yeah. laughed. I mean she said, oh that's nice. And no, you know, <laughs> I said, But he knew you wouldn't reject him, and uh, so and he he didn't pick you out. And I was saying this right in front of him, and right in front of her. You know that he didn't you know pick you out and say, okay, I think I'll get mad at her. But uh, you just automatically, uh, that's what happens. But some people are born uh, that way, and it could be from um, uh, premature birth or an infection in the womb or things like that. But I think some people inherit a brain that's just that way. Uh, My good friend, uh, Dr. Daniel Amon in Newport Beach, California, uh, does spec scans where he measures uh, the brain waves in in your brain. And he can tell a lot uh, about you. And what you're going through by looking at the way blood flows in your brain and I had that done out there to see what kind of ADD I had and and being another doctor he as it came off the machine instead of reading it and seeing me the next day to tell me his findings he just pulled it off right in front of me and looked at it and said oh you're not any good at golf are you and I said no how can you tell and he says look at this little hole in your cerebellum you probably had a concussion when you were a kid and that's the part that controls your hand eye motor coordination. And
3: mm-hmm. he said, oh,
2: you have sleep apnea, don't you? I said, yeah, how can you tell? And he showed me holes in a certain part of my brain that come from having sleep apnea before I started using a machine. And, and uh, you know, he, he could tell me the story of my life by looking at my brain. But uh, I heard him, uh, I watched it. My wife and I watched one of his um, podcasts recently. It's Daniel Amen, A-M-E-N.
3: Right, He's Amen early, Clinics you know,
2: um, is fantastic. anybody wants to see how the brain works, you know, uh, just get uh, go to YouTube and download some of his stuff. But but we were watching one of his and and he talked about a guy that uh, that that was like this explosive, and his whole life and uh, it showed what was wrong with his brain. And it was just he was born that way where that part of the brain instead of being controlled like it's supposed to be, it would just get wired up and it's like having a seizure. He'd he'd explode, you know, and, and lose his temper and things. And there's medications you can give. That uh, help. That you know, uh, lamictal would probably help, um, and uh, the atypical antipsychotics, or maybe some combination, uh, would help. But some people are born explosive. And then before we run out of time,
1: mm-hmm.
2: we've got to cover our our favorite one:
1: <laughs> obsessive,
3: obsessive compulsive. Obsessive,
2: compulsive.
3: <laughs> yes, so
2: we'll, wow. we'll avoid all the psychological. You know, we'll talk about that next week. But uh, some people are. Born that way. Um, some people, you know, most people, I think most obsessive compulsives uh, are, are probably, you know, I, I mean, again, I have those traits. You know,
1: absolutely. Absolutely. Huh?
2: I absolutely yeah I've got some traits. of those traits. Yeah. Yeah. And people who are obsessive compulsive have a lot of wonderful traits. You know, they're conscientious, hardworking, determined to succeed. They're competitive. Uh, you know, they get better grades. They succeed more, but enjoy it less.
1: Right. Because they have more
2: false guilt and things like that. And, uh, and uh, uh, firstborn, the oldest boy in each uh, family tends to be more that way, and the oldest girl in each family tends to be that way. We're gonna, I'm just going to arouse your curiosity now and uh, not explain why that is so that you'll want to listen to our next podcast. <laughs> but this, let, me, let me leave you with this teaser on that. 15 of the first 16 astronauts were firstborn sons. Yeah, now, that's impossible for that to be a coincidence. Oh, absolutely. But why would that happen? It's something like 85% of PhDs, uh, in MDs are the oldest child of their sex and their family and things like So there's, there's certain things that, you know, in, environmental factors, but, uh, some people are born with, uh, perfectionism. They're just born that way from birth. And, um, I know, um, we had, uh, four kids and then we raised two more when their mom died. And, but, um, when, uh, uh I, 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 one of my sons is, uh, is more ADD and, uh, you know, he, he's not obsessive compulsive, but he's really good at what he does now that he's grown up. But, but, uh, if we put balls or toys or you know things in his crib, he'd, uh, He'd uh, you know look at it and look at once and throw it out. You know, right. <laughs> it was too much fun to throw it out. And and then one of our daughters, uh, if you put a a ball in in there or, or a doll or something, she'd pick it up and study it for forty five minutes, looking at every little color and line and all that. <laughs> and uh, you know, she's became a Ph.D. And, you know, it's more obsessive compulsive, and 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 so a lot of it you're you're born with. Um, people that have obsessive compulsive disorder. You know that's where you gotta touch things and you gotta do things in fours and you gotta do a whole bunch of different things and you have obsessions and, obsessions and compulsions and and stuff. People that have that disorder, if they've had it all their lives, it's genetic. If they didn't have it all their lives but then they all of a sudden got it, usually it's due to you know a car accident or some other trauma, big trauma, and so they're temporarily that way. And therapy would get them over that. Therapy will not get you over genetic obsessive compulsiveness. It help right. It only medicine will get you over it. And then some people, uh, you know, about uh, 1% of the population, for example, become schizophrenic in their 20s or 30s. And uh, before they lose touch with reality and have hear voices and have delusions, they'll become obsessive compulsive lots of times for a few months uh, to hang onto their sanity. So there's, but, but, um, okay. but for- So it can be situational. Genetic, yeah. So since we're talking about genetics, um, people that are born with it um, are uh, more uh, on the cerebral cortex side, less in touch with emotions, and uh, they they uh, are self-critical. I explain it like if you took dog poop and put it on your glasses and walked around, and looked at life, and looked at yourself in the mirror, and everything mm-hmm. would look happier than it really is. Right. And uh, people that are born obsessive compulsive have dog poop on their glasses you know that that other people don't look as good because they're not perfect they expect perfection and and they don't and they think they're worse than they are Uh, they're very self-critical and uh uh you know they they um, they're afraid to make a they're extremely afraid to make mistakes they're controlling but at the same time they're real afraid to make mistakes so when they write uh, a term paper in college it will take them forever because they'll they'll just keep um, redoing the first page over and over and over again. Right. Um, be, be, because they want to get it right, you know, and um, when they go to a restaurant, they're the last one to order. Um, the the histrionic personality will go in there and, and uh, the first whiff of something that smells good, he'll order that. you
3: know. <laughs> right. And,
2: uh, and the obsessive compulsive will look over the whole menu. And uh, I had a patient uh, last week that is real obsessive compulsive. And, and I told her, I said, I bet, I bet when you go out to eat with your family, you're the last one to order. She said, oh yeah, I'm not only the last one to order, lots of times I can't even uh, order and I have have to have my husband order for me because I'm afraid to order. <laughs> and uh, so um, uh, you, can, you can be born with a, a lot of these traits and it's a serotonin problem primarily. Mm. And so if I give people a double dose, if you can take any serotonin medicine, like, uh, the serotonin antidepressants, you know, uh, uh, Zoloft or Prozac or uh, Lexapro or uh, or the SNRIs work too. Cymbalta, Pristique, You can give them any of those types of antidepressants, and if you give them double the normal dose, it'll either totally go away or go 90 percent away. And I wanted to end with a couple of case studies, and I won't go into great detail, but there are two that I. One of them I saw today and I was going to, you know, I, I pulled out and I sent you uh, her, um, um, you know, without using any names, uh, some facts about her, you know, a week mm-hmm. ago. And, and it was to brag about her and today she uh, let me down and totally got off her meds again. They, they hate to take medicine. Yes. They, they feel yeah. like if you, if you take a medicine from an authority figure, like a doctor, you're losing control.
3: Yes. In reality,
2: the medicine gives you control. So here's here's one that I saw for the first time, and I won't tell uh, his or her. You don't really know if it's a man or a woman because uh, lots of times I'll change it and things. But anyway, let's just call it a her. Uh, but I, I saw this person a year ago in May, exactly a year ago. And, uh, that, and, and she came to see me because she had so many obsessive-compulsive traits, and she heard that we could help, and so, um, um, and she also had some depression and some anxiety, and she had some chronic pain, and she had some ADD, but the main thing she came for help for was, was her obsessive-compulsiveness, and she had to vacuum uh, her house every single day, Um, and uh, uh, if she had to go, whenever she, she got a phone call and had to go somewhere, or she had an appointment to go somewhere, she could not leave the house until she, uh, dusted the ceiling fans. And there were a bunch of things that she had to do. And even though that would make her late, she could not go without doing those things. And, um, and then, uh, whenever she got a big project to do, uh, she'd have to clean the whole house before she did that, that project. And I don't know if that was a way to Put off doing the project or what you know, but it was it's some obsessive, obsessive trait, and um, so she had a whole bunch of those traits and and, and then obsessions about you know not being uh, acceptable and unpardonable sin and they all think you know God can't possibly forgive them and all that, and uh, so um, I had to really coax her even though she came to me for treatment I had to coax her into trying a serotonin medicine, and um, so. Finally, I, I got her to take one and, uh, um, and then I saw her three weeks later and, and I got her on Pristique. You know, 50 milligrams is a normal dose for depression, but again, it's only half of what you need if you're OCD. And so uh, three weeks later, her depression was gone. Her anxiety was gone. Her pain, chronic pain from her back abnormalities was almost gone. But the OCD was only about, you know, 10 or 15% better. It was a little better. And I said, well, you know, we need to go up to 100 milligrams now and then it'll go away it, it, you know, in two or three weeks. Your OCD will be gone or so minimal it won't bother you. And she wouldn't do it, you know, and and she, I had her keep coming back and persuading. Finally, two months later, she went up on, on the pristique uh, to 100 milligrams and then she did great. She wasn't depressed. She wasn't anxious. She had no pain. And her OCD was almost, uh, totally gone. And, uh, it was so minimal that, you know, she could notice the temptation to do those things, maybe partially out of habit, but she, she didn't do those things anymore. And I asked her how she felt and I'm looking at the notes right here in front of me. Oh, really good. I feel really good. And then, and, and so I was going to use her as a uh, example, her or him as an example today. But then today I saw that person and it just breaks my heart because, uh, um, Uh, that person started getting some uh, side effect um, supposedly from the medicine. I think it was just her fear of taking the medicine because she's been doing, he or she has been doing great for uh, months now because it's a year later. And, um, uh, and, and so, uh, you know, I said, I'm not sure that the side effect is from that because you had that before you ever took the medicine, you know, those symptoms she had before she ever took the medicine. And, uh, but I said, here's, here's, Two different things that'll get rid of that side effect. So try this. If that doesn't work, then come see me or call me again and we'll try the second one. So she tried the first one and still had that side effect, which wasn't really a side effect, I don't think. And so without telling me, this is like uh, almost two months ago. Without me knowing that or anything, she just quit the prestige and, and was back just like she was a year ago. You know, the, the depression, the anxiety, the pain was back, the OCD was back. and and, uh, she came in today and, and, uh, refuses to take, uh, the medicine that she knows would make it normal. And, um, and I, and I said, well, what would you tell your best friend? I said, who is your best friend? She, and he or she gave me the name. And I said, what would you tell your best friend if your best friend had these symptoms? And they went away for almost a year because she took something that corrected them. And now she refused to take them?" And she admitted I'd I tell her to take it. I said, well, then why won't you? I said, this affects your family and, and you, and you know, the people that you come in contact with. And she said, well, let me see if they get worse. You know, I'll I'll come back in, in a month. And if these symptoms get worse, then, then I promise I'll try it again. So I just got to hope she does, but see how discouraging that is. I mean, uh, I have to be so patient with people. Absolutely. Yeah. And then there's one more, uh, one like that. Um, a guy or a gal but somebody that always got straight a's uh uh, let's make it a guy always got straight a's his whole life and uh um uh but he was he got major dips you know lots of times they get suicidal and real depressed and things like that and uh but he had uh uh, panic attacks uh, frequently all his life and felt overwhelmed and and uh, he had to recheck he had to pump things some obsessives have to, they're always counting things. They come in my office and they'll count all the pictures on the wall or all the ceiling tiles. Uh, or they have to count all the telephone poles when they're driving down the highway. They have to recheck things, recheck the doors four times a nine, things like that. They, he, he'd have to do things in certain numbers, like everything had to be an even number or a five or a seven. And uh, in uh, obsessions about, again, uh, uh, committing the unpardonable sin or being a horrible person or different things. Uh, self-critical, um, and uh, he just had all the normal uh, traits. Uh, when I first saw him, and that was in 2017, so that was uh, two years ago, I saw him, and the first day I saw him, he was coming into the day hospital, or our day program. That's where people come seven hours a day, five days a week for three weeks. And he came in the day program. And, uh, and he got daily therapy, seven hours a day, five days a week to get in touch with the youngs and all that. But he was also put on meds that would correct the chemical part. And, and, and you know, if you live that way all your life, you're going to have some psychological things to work on too. And, uh, and after, uh, uh, three and a half weeks in a day program, he did, uh, he did great. Um, he did fantastic. He, uh, um he was happy he was relaxed the ocd was gone and and uh uh he was uh, doing fantastic and then he left and uh went back to his hometown. and uh and then um uh, a year again about a year later he just quit taking his medicine and um and so all those things came back mm-hmm. um uh in, I wrote down uh, in the past, he had many recurring bouts of major depression, sometimes with suicidal thoughts uh, in a list of methods that uh, he considered using, uh gun and other ones. Um, in, uh, often passive death, which is most of the time wishing he could die, most of his life. Uh, he uh, had to recheck things and count things and do things in certain numbers and very self-critical and all that sort of thing and uh afraid of taking prescription medicines um and uh but in the day program he was willing to try it and and he took them, and he got better and um um uh, more relaxed uh loved uh, bivance for his ADD um and uh um it, but part of him wanted to cling to his OCD. I asked him why he quit the medicine because uh, I saw him again recently. And uh, he said, he just, part of him wants to cling to his OCD. He misses it when he doesn't have it. And he, he said, I know that's sick. I know that sounds crazy, but I miss it when I don't have it. And uh, um, so, um anyway, um, he you know, he wouldn't take uh, the medicine. And uh, so, um, it's just so discouraging,
3: yeah. you know, when
2: you say, but,
1: when but, you but I have a whole and-
2: bunch, you know. Yeah, Mostly when you get on it, get well right. well, you know,
1: So Yeah, it's very discouraging. I mean, I I went through that roller coaster, you know, with a member of my own family, where, you know, they'd get better with medication and then get very self righteous about it, like we just talked about, and stop taking it, and then take a, you know, take a dive, and, and you know, it's emotionally, physically, everything exhausting for the people. You know, around that person because if there's a, it's a roller coaster constantly. You know, well, a lot of get lulled into of the, oh, it's going to be great because now they're taking their meds and it's wonderful. And yeah, you and then you go, well, what's going on with their behavior? I realize, oh, they stopped their medication, and there you are, back on that
2: roller coaster. Yeah, that, that's really sad when that happens because uh, if, if like if they stayed on, uh, he was on Cebalta and. Uh, if he would have stayed on, stayed on ball for the rest of his life, he would have been normal the rest of his life. And uh, and if he stayed on until he was 80 and then quit, he would become depressed and anxious and obsessive-compulsive and suicidal at, at 80, within a, a month or six weeks after getting off it. So, you know, if you have a genetic problem, you got to take medicine for life or it'll come back.
1: Right. Exactly. Well, we covered a lot of ground. So tell our listeners again what we're going to talk about on the next episode.
2: Yeah, the next one, uh, we're going to talk about um, the uh, environmental, let me find the exact words here, podcast two,
3: is <laughs>
2: correcting childhood, childhood influences on our adult personality.
1: Right. That's, that's going to be so a, good one.
2: a lot of our personality is formed by age six, but we'll go into that later a lot by age three and those early we're going to focus on the first six years of life okay. know, and then later on we'll talk about other things in life but how much of our personality is is uh, dominated by the first six years of, of life and I want to end on a positive note though uh, <laughs> Kristen that, uh, whatever we inherit whatever part of our personality we, we inherit uh, with modern medications it's just amazing we can correct it you can make a O C D person you know, you can make an O C D person normal by taking, you know, a serotonin medicine. You can make a paranoid person uh normal by taking a dopamine medicine. And you can make a, a socially phobic person his whole life uh normal four days later by taking a, a a GABA medicine. And uh it's just it's miracles. It's like, you know, being a psychiatrist is just awesome. It's so much fun. Cause I, it's almost like I can do miracles and I'm not doing them. I'm just using modern psychiatric research and, and, uh, and giving them things that can correct the imbalances in their brain. Right. And, uh, so it's really cool. So you can, you can heal the the parts of your personality that, that are genetic. You can take medicine to correct. And, uh, and you know, if if somebody has got personality problems and they're not genetic, then counseling is,
1: Right. Behavior modification. Absolutely.
2: Yeah.
1: Well, thank you, Paul. We just did another round table with Dr. Paul Meyer. So thanks for joining me again.
2: I always love it.
1: (laughs) And thank you to our listening family for another episode of Mental Health News Radio. or join the amazing organizations that help keep us on the air, please email us at info at mhnrnetwork.com. Get ready for that special goodbye from our resident therapy dog, Miles, and a special thanks to Emily Sohn for letting us use her incredible song, Cordial, for our podcast music. Listen to the full song on SoundCloud at emily.sonne. Don't be surprised when I don't hate on you. After all we promise.
3: Sometimes in you I can Good boy